Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Today we have Will Brinson talking about the Thanksgiving slate, which went from three games to two. We're going to talk about the Steelers-Ravens situation and the two Thanksgiving games remaining. But first, before we get into today's show, I wanted to quickly tell you about another ESPN podcast. I don't know if you heard about this person, but she's very talented. Her name is Mina Kimes. If you have not heard her before, well, she's been on this show about 100 times. She has her own show, which is excellent. It's called The Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny. Mina talks all things football every week with her unique brand of humor and insight. Last week, uh, she had uh, Dominique Foxworth, one of our friends, and Mike Gold Jr., another friend of the show, uh, on a live podcast this week. I believe Robert Mays uh, is the guest. So you can't win them all. Not always all great guests, but uh, I'm just kidding. So download and subscribe to Mina's show. And of course, uh, the Bill Barnwell show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. And guys, here's Will Brinson and our show. All right, joining me now, as promised, a frequent contributor to the Bill Barnwell Show, someone who... When we talked about what we were going to discuss for this show a little while ago, we were originally going to talk about three games, but about 15 minutes before the show was going to be taped this afternoon, it became a two-game slate for Thanksgiving. So joining me to discuss all that is our friend, Will Brinson from CBS. Will, how are you? Bill, I'm doing great. I hope you're doing well. I'm being uh, blasted on Twitter right now for suggesting that a two-game slate is preferable on Thanksgiving to a three-game slate. And I will uh, acknowledge that while more football is always better than less football, um, I do think that selfishly being done with, quote-unquote, work at like seven versus midnight is a benefit. And there's something nostalgic about an old-school two-game Thanksgiving slate. Interesting. I This had not occurred to me. I So let's think. When did it become a three-game slate? 2006. 2006. Okay. I remember there was like like the final. No, no. I remember. Okay. Yes. Like, was that an NFL network game? I believe that was the advent of the NFL network. And I don't, I don't remember exactly which game was uh, in 2006. I, I just had this distinct memory of um, going down to my grandparents' house in Jacksonville, Florida, every Thanksgiving. Um, and we would, you would sort of miss part of the early game because you were doing a big family lunch and then sure. I would come back and fall asleep during the afternoon game as one does right with my grandfather he would fall asleep in his chair I'd fall asleep on the couch and then uh, we would watch college basketball and now I have these memories of being at my parents house and eating dinner with all the family that was over there and having to like not be rude by staying in the living room and actually talking to <laughs> people and watching like Steelers Ravens. There was a great game with Antonio Brown catching a, a touchdown, you know, a, a fantastic touchdown pass. I don't think he dove into the goalpost, but he did something. And, but I remember watching you know, like the tiny television in my parents' kitchen, um, which 
is fine. I just always found it tough to focus on that late game or we're out there watching like Packers bears and you're trying mm -hmm. to stay awake knowing you have to podcast in like 45 minutes and just, yes. so, so it's probably more selfish than anything. Um, but I don't know. Two, two games is kind of nice. It's kind of appealing. It's like, all right, we're done working at seven o'clock. Okay. Here's a theory. I was not going to run out until we got to the lion section of the show, but I'll bring it up here because I think we're talking about how we might change the Thanksgiving slate. I, I see your points. I like having the three game slate, but I also see those are pretty valid arguments for not having the three game slate. By the way, the first non Lions Cowboys Thursday, uh, Thanksgiving game was 2006. Like you said, it was Chiefs Broncos, hmm. both, both seven and four, but a matchup between Trent Green and Jake Plummer. So maybe not. I, I, Bill, I don't remember. I don't remember watching that game. And I sort of wonder if it's because NFL Network was not carried by like I'm fairly certain my grandparents did not have NFL Network mm -hmm. on because the, they didn't have they know they didn't have cable they had like you know you're flipping through the channels like they yes. didn't have a digital cable box in 2006 so I sort of wonder how many people watch those early ones right I feel like not very many so I feel like the game that really sort of brought up the NFL Network debate was the Patriots Giants game in Week 17 the mm. following year. Um, I ended up getting simulcast on like three different networks to see if the Patriots could go 16 and 0. Um, here is my plan to improve the Thanksgiving slate. And it's not very traditional. It's going to upset, I think, some fans. But here is, I think, a fair argument. The Lions have lost three straight Thanksgiving games. If they lose to the Texans on Thursday, that would be four. Here is my proposed rule. Do I think I know what you're going to do and I like it. Is it a championship belt type of situation? Sort of. Okay. It's, it's, it's like a relegation kind of situation. Ooh. If you lose five consecutive Thanksgiving Day games, you're thrown out off Thanksgiving. You get replaced by somebody else. So the Lions cannot lose five games in a row on Thanksgiving. If they lose that fifth game, they're no longer the Thanksgiving Day tradition. You get another team gets picked at random to go in there. Maybe the team that beat them to point to the championship belt thing, maybe they get to go in there. So maybe it becomes like a Packers tradition to have Thanksgiving as opposed to the Lions. I think that would add, really, really spice up some of these bad games. Because now if the Lions are playing for their right to play on Thanksgiving, that's a lot more meaningful yeah. than uh, just your normal bad Lions team playing on Thanksgiving. And I like the idea of the relegation, but maybe you can even work in something along the lines of once you lose that fifth game as the Lions, and we got to give them a little bit of notice. Maybe we didn't have to give them five years notice. I don't know. Um, yeah. But I, I, I like the idea that if you lose the fourth one next year, you might want to get it together. Maybe fire Matt Patricia and I don't know, be less terrible. Hire Jim Caldwell. Um, anyway, uh, I think I like the idea that then Detroit is not eligible to compete uh, for to, like they, they can't even appear as a, as a away game. Right. But five years later, they're then eligible to appear as an away team that could in theory, take the title back from whoever is in possession of the, mm -hmm. of the Thanksgiving day title. I agree. I think it makes sense. I, I think it's at least something we should throw out there to try and improve some of these bad games because without that Ravens Steelers game, which we'll get to in a second, it's not a pretty slate Texans Lions, Washington football team, Dallas Cowboys competitive uh, in that second game. And, and Bill, do you know, so I was, I was reading up about this. I was doing some local radio with my buddies at sports channel eight here in Raleigh. And uh, my pal Hayes had texted me and said, Hey, you know, do you know why the the lions play on Thanksgiving? And I was like, yeah, yeah obviously. Um, and then when immediately reached, I, I sort of knew the construct, 
but I don't think I knew the specific story. And it's, it's basically that the lions were just being completely ignored in the city of Detroit where they had recently moved mm -hmm. from, I think Syracuse or somewhere like that and, or Scranton. And, um, <laughs> They were being outshone by the, the, the wildly popular Detroit Tigers. Mm -hmm. So to get the Lions some love, the owner moved him to Thanksgiving, and he had a, a radio contract with NBC to get, a, to get them broadcast in 94 different markets. Ah. And so, ironically, the, the Lions needed Thanksgiving to become wildly popular. Now they are on Thanksgiving, and no one cares. So yes. it's like maybe it's time to put them somewhere else. The only people who care are the people who foolishly pick them to win the NFC North before the division, before the season began. What a bunch of idiots. What a bunch of fools. Who would <laughs> listen to them talk about it on uh, a podcast format? So let's talk about the Lions in a second. Let's talk about the breaking news here, this Ravens-Steelers situation. Um, my first note for this game was, can you believe this game is even being played? And the answer is it's not being played. It's been pushed back to Sunday. The Ravens were without Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins, Brandon Williams, Pernomic Fee. Um, Marlon Humphrey recently came back from, or recently was battling coronavirus. Um, are you surprised the NFL pushed this game back? And I mean, based on what you've seen, do you think it's the right decision or a fair decision? I, yeah, uh, yes. And yes, I am. I'm shocked that the, the NFL pushed it back because that's not a very NFL thing to do. No. To sacrifice a primetime game on Thanksgiving. But I, I think that what we had seen from Baltimore wasn't just, and it was kind of crazy when it happened mm -hmm. um, because you had the Ravens come out and Mark Ingram and um, uh, JK Dobbins test positive. And then they're like, and then John Harbaugh, like four hours later, John Harbaugh was like, well, contract contact tracing is done. We're in the clear. It's like, that's, I mean, yeah, I'm not a, epidemiologist here but like that doesn't feel as if that's the proper process to knock no. this thing out feels like there's a little more that's going to have to go into it and sure enough more positive uh test pop-up or closer contact situations and so as a result of that to me bill it made sense to push the game back to sunday you're doing it for player safety i mean mm -hmm. look the nfl doesn't often in our eyes i don't think do things that are entirely based on player safety at the expense of ratings and profit. And this is the, what they're doing is at the expense of ratings and profit. Thanksgiving night game was going to do huge ratings. Mm -hmm. Raven Steelers are going to be wildly popular. I think they pushed it back for the good of all the players involved, but the Steelers understandably, you know, a little miffed because they thought they were going to get some extra rest and now they will not. Yeah. I mean, do you think the Steelers have a valid sort of uh, argument for being frustrated now that they've had their bye week essentially taken away uh, early in the season. And now, of course, they're losing what was going to be a, a mini buy after the Thursday night game. Yeah. Um, I think they have a very valid argument. If you're a Pittsburgh player, you're, you feel like you haven't done anything wrong. And not that any of these other players necessarily did anything, quote unquote, wrong. But, you know, having all of these games moved you know, having all having all the Steelers games moved without the Steelers actually testing positive mm -hmm. would be very frustrating. And 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 you know, I can I can understand why they're 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 not happy about it. I mean, Juju mm -hmm. Smith Schuster, uh, shortly before uh, we started recording, tweeted out: first, the NFL takes away our bye week because another team can't get their COVID situation together. Now they take away our Thanksgiving primetime game for the same reason. Mm -hmm. SMH, as the kids say, shaking my head. Um, yeah, I, he didn't say the kids say, but. Yeah, I think the Steelers should be very frustrated. This, there's nothing you can do. It's a pandemic. You got to deal with it. 
mm-hmm. but they're undefeated. They're playing some great football and they keep getting hosed by accidentally being matched up with whatever team is having a COVID outbreak at that particular time. So frustrations, absolutely understandable. I think so. I mean, at the same time, they've been able to overcome it, right? I mean, they're 10 and 0. It doesn't look like they're close to losing games. Um, let me ask you very briefly about them because I wanted to talk about them a little bit in our discussion. Because I feel like, you know, I think you have Steelers fans who feel a little frustrated that they're not getting, you know, hype as a historically great team, even though they are 10 and 0. So let me ask you, Will, do you think the Steelers are A, the best team in the league? B, just the team with the best record in the league? And, and I guess C, do you think we should be thinking of them as a historically dominant team given their record after uh, after uh, 10 weeks? Because by the way, this is the first time in franchise history, I believe. Or is, sorry, if the Steelers win this week, it would be the first time in franchise history that they would start 11-0, which is pretty impressive for that franchise. Yeah, but Bill, the, the thing about that, uh, the, the impressive start, it is very impressive because that's a historically great franchise. Like they were setting those records at eight and zero. They yeah. never started eight and zero. It's it's sort of like Tom, Drew Brees has broken a record for completion percentage. It's like, well, yes, he he did. He, or, or Tom Tom Brady has broken a record for oldest NFL player to throw a touchdown pass or whatever yeah. it is. Like he he's breaking his own record each each week out. Um, the Steelers have never been been here. It's uncharted territory. I think it's very important to give the Steelers their full due. Mm-hmm. Um, they are a very good team. I don't think they're an elite team. I definitely don't think they're the best team in the league because I would take the Chiefs over the Steelers. And and you know, the Chiefs have one loss mm-hmm. uh, to a to a Raiders team that is surprising everybody. I don't think it's I don't think that's a hot take to say that I would take the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Steelers are probably a little more balanced, but I, I I think they have really good receivers and a great pass rush. But I'm not sure that they have a ton of just huge upside spots on everywhere else on the roster in terms of what you can expect. I mean, we've seen some really good performances from Ben Roethlisberger. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen elite performances from Ben. Now, maybe he gets, maybe he improves as they move along in the season and, and they continue to win games or, or they, the offense gets better. I mean, the, the pass catchers are fantastic. The run game is man. Yeah. The back end is his hit or miss. I mean, Minka Fitzpatrick has some big plays, but hasn't been as good as he was last year, which was probably going to be impossible. Mm-hmm. It is weird, though, that we're not having the uh, derp-de-derp uh, best team, best undefeated team ever conversation that we had mm-hmm. in 2015 with the Panthers when they were doing this. Nobody wants to insult the Steelers in that way, which I guess <laughs> is good, bad. I don't know. But I, I don't think they're as good as their record says. I think they're mm-hmm. more like a 7-3 and three team. Mm-hmm. But, I mean wh- – it's not like they're a bad football team. It's just they got some breaks. They won some close games, and they're undefeated. Yeah, I think it's funny because if you go back and read um, Larry Merchant's book, Larry Merchant, the famous boxing and, and betting analyst for HBO, wrote a uh, a book about betting on the 1972 NFL season, and he wrote about the Dolphins that year um, in the book. And every week he's kind of like, okay, well, the Dolphins are going to lose this week because they're not that good, but they kept winning. And then they were 14-0, and and then they were 17-0, and the season was over and they won the Super Bowl and they were the first uh, start to finish undefeated team in NFL history. And, you know, I, I think the Steelers don't have to be the tw- 2007 Patriots to pull this off because I look at their schedule. Will. I mean, let's say they win against the Ravens this week, which I think still, even with that extra time playing a weakened Ravens team 
I think the Ravens are still in a tough spot. You know, they could win. I mean, they're playing for their season essentially at six and four. Um, you know, they, they are absolutely desperate for a victory, but I think the Steelers are just a better football team right now. Mm. The Steelers schedule after this Ravens game, host the Washington football team at the Bills, at the Bengals, hosting the Colts, at the Browns. Three reasonably tough games after that Ravens game at Buffalo, uh, hosting Indy at the Browns in week 17. But Washington football team, not especially tough competition, as we'll get to in a second. At the Bengals without Joe Burrow, I'm going to I'm gonna count that one as a W right now for the Steelers. I think that's fair. I mean, what do you think, if you had to, to put a number on it, what do you think their chances are of finishing 16-0? Oh, uh, I will say that I'm trying to think what the, I mean, the odds are probably, uh, you know, screw the odds. I don't even think about those. I'll say <laughs> it's like, I'll say it's like 55% chance that they, really? that, high? that might be too high. I'll say, I'll say 35% chance. Okay. Cause, cause I think I, I, the Ravens, they have the Ravens bills and, and Colts. I mean, they're going to, they're going to lose one of those games. I think, I think it's, I don't think it's insane to say, suggest that the Colts could be a better overall team than the Steelers because their defense is better. I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't actually say that. Mm-hmm because then I'll get yelled at and be called a Philip Rivers homer. But um, yeah, <laughs> absolutely will. And I'll deserve it. Uh, but I, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's insane to suggest that they should, could lose one of those. They're five to one at, will you, uh, at, uh, at a particular sports book. To, mm-hmm. Thank you. um, you're welcome. To go uh, undefeated and minus 700 to lose a game. I think it's way more likely that the Jets lose every game than it is that the Steelers win every game. I think that's fair. Uh, by the way, ESPN has an excellent partnership with the Caesar Sportsbook uh, brand of sportsbooks. Um, no, uh, I mean, I, that's absolutely fair. Like, like you know, I, I think it's it's going to be very tough. Um, I think beating the Ravens, beating the Bills in Buffalo uh, are, are the two most difficult games they have left. But, Will, I want you to think for a second before we move on here. Imagine if you're a fan of the Cleveland Browns. You are on... You're basically, you're in the playoff hunt. Uh, the Browns have a pretty good shot of making it to the postseason right now. They are 60.2%, even at 7-3, and three, according to uh, ESPN's Football Power Index. Um, let's say the Browns are in a position in Week 17 where they can win to make it back to the postseason. Mm. They are at home. I don't know if there'll be fans in the stands. Maybe there will be. Maybe there won't be. On the other side of the field, imagine if the team going up against the Browns in Week 17 that Sunday are the 15-0 Pittsburgh Steelers trying to make it to 16-0 for the first time in franchise history, as we mentioned. I mean, to become just the fourth team ever. Or mm-hmm. Is it fourth or third team ever? To I believe third. Oh, yeah, but yeah, it's just the 72 Dolphins, the 07 Pats, and it would be the... The 2020 Steelers. Wouldn't it be very 2020 to have an okay Steelers team? Mm-hmm. I mean, but imagine, imagine the stakes for that game where Browns have to win to make the playoffs, Steelers have to win to go to 16 and 0. That would be a very exciting matchup. Incredible. Uh, one thing that I think is worth noting, Bill, and I was going to lodge a complaint with you, as, as I'm sure Uh-oh. that you have a direct contact with whoever runs the ES, you know, somebody, obviously you have contacts with at ESPN.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to lodge a complaint that the playoff machine isn't up, but the playoff machine is up. It's it is up. up. 
glorious. Um, just doing a quick, and this is just doing the Steelers and Chiefs win. So this may uh, change things. I need to see exactly what the tiebreaker is here. But uh, it does appear, yeah, so Kansas City, if Kansas City runs the table and finishes 15-1 and one, and Pittsburgh loses one game, uh, I, gave, I gave him a loss to the Ravens mm -hmm. just because it was easier. I was trying to do it on the fly. They would fall to the two seed uh, based on strength of victory. Oh. And Kansas City would get the one seed. And I think that's interesting because while the Chiefs do have the Buccaneers and Saints left on their schedule, the other games are the Broncos, Dolphins, Falcons, and Chargers, which I feel pretty good about them winning, not guaranteed by any means. But it, it does look like a very uh, you know, winnable, winnable out slate for, for the Chiefs. And if they win every game, I mean, it's not, it's not like, I mean, can you imagine going 15 and one and being the second seed in the AFC? It would be infuriating if you're the Steelers. So maybe they're sort of looking at that and realizing that surely somebody's crunched the numbers and knows that they do need to run the table in order to, uh, to get that number one seed. Yeah. 2007 Colts sort of in a similar boat, not 15 and one, but 13 and three um, lost in week six, lost in week 17, I believe in a game where uh, we saw some gyms. Yeah, we saw a bunch of Jim Sorgi in week Week 17, so 13 and two, first in scoring defense, third in scoring offense, and nobody remembers that team because they were playing behind the Patriots and lost to the Chargers in the divisional round. So, I mean, Steelers could go from, you know, being in, in, in pole position or prime position, I guess, to being almost forgotten about with, with two, with really two losses, one in the regular season, yeah. one early on in the postseason. But, uh, you know, a, a really interesting team because, like, like you said, you know, I think there is this perception that they're a very good team, but they're not you know, maybe not even the best team in football, let alone overwhelmingly the best team in football. Two teams, I think we can say quite comfortably, Will, are not the best teams in football, are the Houston Texans and the Detroit Lions. And we talked about the Lions uh, struggling. Of course, they've lost now three Thanksgivings in a row. They have had an up and down season. Um, but last week, not impressive, losing 20 to nothing to Carolina, despite the fact that P.J. Walker, who I thought was actually pretty solid for most of the game, through two awful interceptions to them in the end zone could have been a much more significant loss. The offense just could not get going against a, I'd say inconsistent or, or middling Panthers defense. I have yeah. to ask you, well, I feel like I ask this every week, but I'm going to have to ask you again. Is Matt Patricia coaching for his job on Thanksgiving? Uh, he probably should be bill. Yes, um, is he? Oh, I don't know that you fire somebody after Thanksgiving. I think that's just a tough sell. Like we're hey, listen, uh, I know this is a big family time. Actually, I I, I don't think I, I don't I don't know that I don't know that he isn't already done. And I sort of wonder if the Lions and the, the interesting thing with Detroit is that remember they, they did this very quietly, mm -hmm. but uh, Sto uh Stony Ford, aka Martha Firestone Ford, mm -hmm. stepped down as as the um you know the the head of the lions like she mm -hmm. gave, she ceded her power i believe to her daughter who is now making the executive you know the ceo the chairman the president whatever it is the lions and i think that's interesting because you you know typically ownership is going to be if you're new on the job either you're going to be really aggressive or really patient with it mm -hmm. and i think maybe this is a good chance for the lions to reboot everything like, Hey, all right, I'm in charge now. And I, I the reason I don't think that, that he's coaching for his job, Matt Patricia mm -hmm. on Thanksgiving is that I think there's a, it's, there's a reasonable chance that 
he is going to get the full season because Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia are both going to be gone in the offseason. Mm -hmm. So, in other words, you don't fire him on Thanksgiving. He would need to make a playoff run. That seems pretty unlikely. And as a result, it's just like, all right, let's play this season out. Let's see what happens. Sort of like what appears to be happening in New York with Adam Gase. Like, they're just... <laughs> For what they just don't want to make a midseason coach change. So instead, they're going to let the season play out and then relieve Bob Quinn and, and Matt Patricia of their jobs together. Because mm -hmm. I, I think it would be tough to fire Matt Patricia, then say, All right, Bob, you fired a nine and seven head coach and brought in your guy who has the same, like, has the, like, you know, the worst, you know, just one of the worst records in franchise, in franchise history, despite us having Matt Millen, mm -hmm. uh, you know. And, and so I don't know that Bob Quinn gets a third chance that's just sort of that's a tough thing when you take over a team as a gm fire a head coach who wins nine games bring in your hand-plucked guy and he stinks you know that's just that's just sort of the breaks i think does he have a work does matt patricia have a worse record than rod marinelli uh rod, rod marinelli with an 0 16 season speaking of 16 and 0 in the reverse was 10 and 38 patricia is 13 and 28 so better but not by a significant margin. Oh, yeah, I said Matt Millen, and I meant um, Rod Marinelli. I think he was there too for that. No, but Matt Millen, I think hired Rod Marinelli. Right, that's what I thought. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, we were just, yeah we're just lumping them all in a. In they're a both bad. I mean, no, no different from Quinn and Patricia. Um, I, I think that's a really interesting point because we looked at um, Houston, for example, where Houston uh, had Bob McNair pass away, um, and in the ensuing uh, couple of years, where his I believe his son um, is it Cal McNair. Yes, Cal McNair. Kyle McNair has taken over um, ownership duties there. I mean, they've entrusted a lot of power to Bill O'Brien and then fired Bill O'Brien after four games. Whereas, you know, I think Bob McNair to a fault was patient with his coaches and GMs. Um, we don't know how the Lions are going to be uh, basically treated at the end of the year. Now, I think it's very, very plausible that the Lions have already made up their mind and would move on from Matt Patricia after this season. But let me ask you, Will, looking at their schedule, which is not easy, by the way, Houston, well, that's pretty easy, but at <laughs> Chicago, hosting Green Bay, at Tennessee, hosting Tampa, hosting Minnesota, how good would the Lions have to be? What would their record have to be at the end of the season, do you think, for Matt Patricia to keep his job? Oh, man. Um, Bill, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I get so they're four and six now, right? And they, they, just, they just got skunked by the Panthers. Yeah, they rank bottom five, I believe, in the the NFL and DVOA def defensively. Mm -hmm. And the Lions didn't score a single point. Not I mean, they had a touchdown taken away. Otherwise, they didn't really come close. No, they weren't even threatening. I mean, it was pathetic. And you so see, you have the Texans who you should score against. Although if Kenny Galladay didn't play, and I think he's trending in the right way as we you know record this on Wednesday afternoon, but like it, it's just hard to you know. It's just hard to – no, I, I don't think there's a number. I think if they run the table and they finish 10 and 6 or they win five games and finish 9 and 7, then sure. You know, because you're maybe a sneak in the playoffs. Maybe you're just on the outside in. But, I mean, I think history tells us it's more likely that Matt Patricia loses four of these games and finishes 6 and 10. At that point, I just don't know how you keep bringing it back. Mm -hmm. I agree. I, I don't know if Galladay's going to play. I think he – did he practice today? I know he didn't, he didn't practice on Tuesday. I think on – no, he was 
Was he downgraded? He was downgraded. Yeah, he was out with. Oh, he was okay. He was the one of the ones downgraded. We were. I, we did a big. Uh, you can go listen to it on the Pick Six podcast, uh, wherever you get your podcast. But we did a big props and um, DFS and Thanksgiving preview. And Galladay, there's a there's a ton of Lions who are hurt. I mean, it's hard to like the Lions in this game. I mean, it's it's just hard to like the Lions in this game. As bad as the Texans may be defensively. If they score 28 points against a terrible Lions defense, which is very plausible, mm-hmm. how on earth are the Lions going to muster enough to to counter that? That's the scary part. Is that you'd figure, you know, on paper this game would be a shootout because both these defenses are bad. Um, they don't really have solutions for what the other team's trying to do, and the Texans haven't really been able to stop anybody for most of this season. Lions are a mess. I mean, Jeffrey Cooter, their their top three pick, has been just torched for the vast majority of the season. They don't have a good pass rush. They don't have a lot going for them. Um, So I think on paper, this could be a a big shootout, but without Galladay, um, you know, with the Lions having, I think, is DeAndre Swift going to play in this game? I would assume he's up. He was upgraded to limited practice, I believe, on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And we were recording this too early to get the practice report, I think, from the from the Lions yeah. or uh, Wednesday. But it, it, I think it's probably a coin flip on whether or not he plays. He's a, he's a huge deal, though. Oh, if for they sure. Want, if they want to keep up, because the Texans' run defense is as bad as it gets in football. Mm-hmm. And Adrian Peterson, it's hard to fathom the idea that Adrian Peterson is going to have a throwback Thanksgiving. I don't... Yeah, I don't, maybe it's not that hard to fathom. Here's the thing. Couldn't you see a scenario where... Adrian Peterson like has like a 120 yard game and your uncle who watches football like twice a year just <laughs> says, man, Adrian Peterson still got it. You know, when is this guy going to ever age? He looks the same every year because he's only watched one Adrian Peterson game and it's come against the Texans. Um, I, I can see. I, I, yes, I, I can absolutely see that. I believe this is a, uh, isn't this the Nance Romo game too? Oh, wow. That's- so I, can, I mean, I'm just kind of picturing, I'm kind of trying to visualize. It would be, I think it would be better if Aikman was the one calling the ageless Adrian Peterson game on like on Fox, just cause like the, like the, the way in which he would be amazed by it would probably like, I think Adrian, I think Tony Romo and Nance will, will kind of be like, you know, who sort of more like who saw this coming? Whereas Aikman would be like, I, you know, you just can't, you, sometimes you got to establish the run Joe. And this is where he really gets, you know, I can, I can just see that more from Aikman, but I, I can see, you know, I can see the, yeah, the appeal of an Adrian Peterson throwback Thanksgiving game and that happening and uncles around the world and the country, uh, you know, discussing the the amazing nature in which he never goes away. <laughs> I also, by the way, I also like the under for regardless of whether it's Peterson or Swift, because it's like 51 and a half. 51 and a half. Yeah. And people think the Texans are this high scoring, terrible defense team. And that may that is the case. But usually that only happens when Houston is involved with a team who will counter, who will score first or immediately counter plays and get into a shootout. Otherwise, I think this really profiles like, you know, a bunch of crosses to Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks and mm-hmm. jailbreak them, tons of points. But I just don't see how they get 51 is a lot for this game. I think. It is. And the 51, you have to get 52. 51 yeah. would not even be enough. That's I have true. two questions for you, Will, about this game. Number one, this is not really about the game, actually. Number <laughs> one, who will stop getting? 150 carries a year first. Adrian Peterson or Frank Gore? Ooh. I'll say Adrian Peterson. He seems less less inclined to walk away from the game than Frank Gore, but I think that Frank Gore is motivated by the idea of playing on the same team as his own son, who will eventually be drafted into the NFL in a in a very a poor man's football version of LeBron James. So 
I will say that Peterson stops getting carries first. But my my concern though is that Frank Gore seems tied to Adam Gase. Yes, that is that is problematic. Whereas Adrian Peterson gets 150 carries from everybody he coaches, everybody who coaches. Mm-hmm. Not Sean Payton. Not Sean Payton. Just about everybody else there. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I that's a gr- that's a great point. Uh, but you know what? Adam Gase keeps getting head coaching jobs. So can you imagine if someone hired Adam Gase? Like if the Lions hired Adam Gase next year to be their head coach? Um, I'll probably get in. I'll probably get yelled at if this gets. But I, I mentioned this on my podcast all the time too. If you go and look at Pete Prisco's 2017, I think coaching uh-huh. rankings, he may or may not have uh, Adam Gase above Bruce Arians, and may or may not hypothetically uh, refer to him as someone who could take over the number one slot from Bill Belichick when Belichick retires. I mean, he could. Bill Belichick's not retiring, so I mean, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying. If if you want a good chuckle, go check out Prisco's sure 2017 coaching rankings where the a, a old takes exposed it is a it is a, a, a gold mine of old takes people don't remember like not i don't think everyone thought this but dolphins fans certainly thought adam gase was a genius after that first season like sure. they really got angry if you criticized his moves they're a bizarre franchise and it, you and i i'm sure both wrote stories about it in the following off season but they were the ultimate regression team oh <laughs> yeah yeah, just one win, one score wins all over the place. They were. Um, it's not go well for them. But Adam Gase did get a second job. So Adam Gase knows what he's doing to some extent. Question number two. This came a little bit after uh, Bill O'Brien was fired after week four. But I want to contrast these two teams. If, the, if both these jobs are open in terms of head coach and GM after the season and these owners, these uh, children of owners have a particular affinity for CBS podcast hosts. Mm. And they come to Alprince and they say, well, I want you to run our football team top to bottom. Which of these two franchises would be more appealing to you running the Texans or running the lions? That is a great question. I am going to select the lions and I'm sort of surprised by my selection because you know, general rule of thumb that you and I both agree with is that you want to follow the franchise QB and the Texans have a young franchise QB into Sean Watson. They have lots of talented players, but lots of stars and scrubs. However, they have put themselves into horrific cap position by allowing Jack Easterby, who's still there and Bill O'Brien to uh, make trades, make signings over, over market signings, Laramie Tunsil, they gave up multiple first round picks for they don't have a first or second round pick in the upcoming draft. And I think that there is also some concern for me in the power structure of the, the organization where I don't know what Jack Easterby is going to be doing there. And I, if I'm a Texans fan, I am worried that he is wielding a lot of power. Now he's probably not, he's not going to be the GM, but it seems like he's, he's going to stay as VP of football ops, which means he's going to pick the GM. Whereas I think if you go to Detroit, you could quite easily uh, be allowed to select. Like I would be like, hey, look, I want Prisco as my GM. Okay, that's who I want. They're like, okay, you pick your GM. You're tied to him. You guys come in together and work together. I so I think while as Detroit is the certainly the more dysfunctional organization over the long haul, um, I, I do believe that there is less likely for dysfunction in the short term in Detroit. And that's why I would target them because I, I don't know how long the next coach in Houston is going to last without immediate success. And 
you know, JJ Watts, not, not there for long. Will Fuller might not be there for long. You have Brandon cooks. Great. Um, Tunsil, very expensive, very good player. Defensively, I don't think they have a whole lot. And there's just no draft picks. So mm -hmm. I'll take Detroit. And knowing that if I turn the lines around, I am hailed as an NFL genius. That's true. I think that's – you, you want to have the bar pretty low. Oh, that's um, Outside of the Browns, I feel like that's the lowest bar in the NFL right now. Is just and and you also it's yeah you know, Matt Stafford's played at a high level the last few years. He's been banged up, but I would feel confident in being able to get the most out of Matthew Stafford while also knowing that we can look for you know we're gonna have high draft picks. We can look for another quarterback in a market that's become fairly saturated with with quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, um, I I think it's close. I think I would take the Texans just because I have a quarterback and I, I, I think that I can figure things out if I have to Sean Watson, but I, I, I could see your point. I, I think it's a close call. Cause I think the draft picks the lions have are pretty valuable. And the draft picks the Texans don't have are also pretty valuable, unfortunately for Texans fans. Um, the other game we're going to see on Thanksgiving, Washington football team and the Dallas Cowboys. My first question for you, Will Brinson, over under a half on watermelon-related celebrations during this game. Um, hmm. Watermelon, I don't know how you do a watermelon celebration. It's easy. You put the football on the ground. You, you, pretend, you pretend to have uh, like a hammer in your hand. Yeah. Or not a hammer, but what's the, what's the bigger version of a hammer? Sledgehammer. Sledgehammer, sure. And you <laughs> pretend to smash the football, right? Yeah, that's a good point. It is pretty easy. It's actually really simple. So, yeah, I think I'll set the over at a half for sure. I might even, uh, you know, I can uh, in soccer, or I guess you could do you know, baseball too, but I might even take the, the alt over one and a half. Wow. And maybe consider two and a half if you gave me enough plus money on this. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think it's certainly in the running for the discussion there. Um, you could also get, by the way, uh, a mocking washington football team touchdown celebration with a with a like a defensive touchdown celebration that's what i think yeah with a with a watermelon that's what i'm talking about i could see two here easy yeah um because you would figure if washington is going to win this football game i don't know about you but i think that probably starts with what they do up front that's what helped them in their win over the Bengals last week yes absolutely this is Washington football team starts and ends with their def defensive line play. And I, that's why I'm so surprised at the line in this game where we have the Dallas Cowboys favored by three. And I understand they're, they're at home. They played better or they played better last week. I guess the last two weeks they beat the Vikings and they almost beat the Steelers. Um, but Washington poses a significant problem for Dallas in mm. that Dallas has Andy Dalton under center. I don't know if you're aware, Bill, but Thanksgiving games watched mm -hmm. by lots of people qualify as primetime games, in my opinion. Oh, no. So you have Andy Dalton primetime against a great defensive line that gets tons of pressure. It is a recipe for disaster. I, I am not sure why this line is three. I think it should be closer to a pick mm -hmm. So I really like Washington here, and I think they will be able to generate the requisite pressure on Andy Dalton to make life difficult. Now, having, you know, having said that, I think... I, you know, it does it does look like Dallas's offense is starting to play its best football of the post Dak Prescott uh, injury era, if that makes sense. So, it would not be out of control for uh, for the for the Cowboys to have a have a decent game. Yeah, I mean, 
you figure in this game at some point there's going to be a mismatch because the Cowboys will probably keep Zach Martin at right tackle, which is where he played last week. And he's, you know, a college tackle. He handles that job pretty well. He's not as good as he is a guard, but he's a lot better than anything else the Cowboys have at tackles. That takes one care of one spot. On the other side, you're going to have either Chase Young or Montez Sweat, who, you know, not Chase Young, but has six sacks and 13 knockdowns this year, up against Cam Irving, who is stretched at left tackle. I mean, that's an opportunity to create a lot of hits on Andy Dalton, who not just to the point about primetime, but also a guy who has struggled historically against pressure more than your typical NFL quarterback. So, yeah, I mean, it would not shock me at all if this was a low-scoring game because, uh, you know, just to start, you'd figure the Cowboys are going to have trouble, um, you know, stopping that Washington pass rush, a, a really underrated Washington defense altogether, if I'm being honest with you. I mean, I forget what they are in DVOA. I have to look it up, but I think they're a lot better by DVOA than maybe people are giving them credit for right now. Um, And then I think on the flip side of this matchup, you have a Washington football team that ran the ball really effectively last week against the Bengals, 34 carries, 464 yards, and a touchdown. And by the way, Washington sixth in uh, total defensive DVOA, fourth against the pass. Yeah, I was Um, picking it up too, but then I had to log into Football Outsiders. You have to be logged in now to get your DVO rankings. That that is a thing that I learned recently as well. Um, Aaron Shots. mm -hmm. In terms of that running game, in terms of how Washington ran last week, do you think they can do that again against the Cowboys, who, now that I've logged into Football Outsiders, rank 25th against the run in DVOA? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think that they can, uh, I think they're running the ball pretty well. Antonio Gibson uh, looks good. JD McKissick, I guess is really just a slot wide receiver at this point. Yes. Uh, but I think, I think I, li- I would like the Gibson over rush yards pretty blindly. I think it's at 58 and a half. I would probably take it up to 63 or 64. This mm-hmm. is a spot where, uh, you know, for as much as this could turn into a shootout of sorts, because both teams can kind of sling it around with the weapons that they have and, and the lack of uh, secondary, uh, or lack of defensive back presence on on both defenses. Although Washington, as you point out, is kind of sneaky. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think that you'll see Washington try to feed Gibson. He's really seems to be sort of a, a you know a prominent player in terms of what they want to do from an offensive standpoint. It wouldn't surprise me if he was sort of the focal point of the attack, and uh, they tried to dominate on the ground and attack in in the on the from the defensive line. So yes, I think uh, it is very possible that Antonio Gibson gets going that the Washington football team runs the football a lot. I, I hate saying the, their team name and ends up, um, you know, coming away with, I don't know about a decisive victory, but a close victory on, in, a, in a good Thanksgiving game. Well, let me ask you if Washington does win this game, do you think that they should be favored to win the NFC East? Yes, you do. I do. I do think so. Um, I don't, I don't, I mean, Bill Philly is just a mess. Carson Wentz is, He's like Chuck Knob blocking. <laughs> I mean, he's just, he just can't get it together. He, something's in his head. Um, have, maybe, have, I, you, have you seen their schedule over the next four weeks, by the way? The Eagles schedule? Yeah. I think I have, but I forget. It's Seahawks at Packers, oh, hosting, yeah. hosting Saints at Cardinals. And then Cowboys at Washington. Like, those yeah. aren't easy games for them. No. I, I don't understand. Philly is the wrong, te- the wrong team is favored to win that division. Uh, I believe Football Outsiders actually has the Giants as the favorite to win the division. Congrats to your team mm-hmm. uh, on their uh, uh, fake trophy right now. Did you know, by the way, after week two, they were 100 to one to win the NFC East? Is that, is that real? Yeah. Do you know who didn't uh, bet on them to win at 100 to one to win the NFC East? You. Me. Yeah. 
A lot of people probably. Oh, yeah, also. <laughs> I, I think every win is so valuable going down the stretch that the team, whoever wins on Thursday between Washington and Dallas deserves to be the favorite to take it down. Mm-hmm. I think that makes sense. Um, and, you know, I could see the Cowboys throwing the ball, you know, reasonably well. I think Andy Dalton is a, you know, a, a solid quarterback if they can protect him. But I think that's what this game comes down to is just either number one, can the Cowboys just create a ton of pressure on Alex Smith and force him into mistakes, which I mean, he's been pretty solid so far since returning, like almost quietly, like just competent. Um, yeah. But uh, I think if they can get him in third and long, I think that's going to be a good situation for them. And then if they can throw the ball on a really good Washington pass defense, but to me, you know, I could sort of see it being similar to that Bills game from a year ago, um, or the Cowboy, the, Cow- the Bills Cowboys game from last Thanksgiving. It does feel like people are just sort of assuming the Cowboys are going to roll, and and they're they're ignoring the fact that the Cowboys are, you know, three and seven and haven't been good all year and have had, for almost the entire season been terrible on offense, largely even at times when you know they've had. You know, they've been putting up points with even with Dak in there, they weren't mm-hmm. playing well offensively. They were just, you know, they would get down big, they would look bad on offense, and then they would storm back in garbage time. So yeah. I I mean, I if you and they weren't good on offense the last two weeks, really. I mean, Minnesota, they they were they were they weren't terrible on offense against last week. But against Pittsburgh, you know, they relied on a lot of shenanigans and <laughs> and um, you know nonsense like just trick plays and stuff so yeah i don't i don't think that this is i think we're being i think we're sort of being tricked into believing that the cowboys have morphed into a good offensive team overnight i don't necessarily think that's the case Mm -hmm. so you're predicting texans and washington football team for thursday yeah my buddy garrett is uh forcing me into a a lions uh washington money line parlay situation Mm -hmm. that i don't really like but i i i think texans washington and then the two things I really like, I like the Antonio Gibson over rushing yards and Will Fuller over receiving yards for Houston as well. So that's, but yes, I think we see Washington and, and Houston win those games. All right. Well, if you want to hear more from Will Brinson talking about these games and about, all about the Thanksgiving slate, where can people do that? Pick six podcast. We're going to have, uh, and again, selfishly, I don't have to stay up until midnight to recap this at my parents' house while nodding off in, in front of my, my laptop. Uh, we'll have, a, of course, a recap of the Thanksgiving games immediately after they conclude. Uh, we have previews for every single, uh, every single week that's up on Sunday night, first thing. Recap every single game. Tons of great content in that feed, so check it out. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Will Brinson, and read my, well, occasionally read my stuff at cbsports.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, buddy. Always a pleasure, Bill. See you, bud. All right. As always, thanks so much to my friend, Will Brinson. Always love having Will on the show. We have more audio coming next week. So thanks so much for listening. Hope you guys enjoy the holiday. Hope you enjoy the abbreviated two-game Thanksgiving slate. Hope you enjoy Sunday football. And we'll come back and talk more football next week. Thanks so much for listening.